Welcome to Last Minute Politics. My name is Pepper Coyote, and I am alone today. Why? Well, we were originally going to have Lorcan on today, uh, but unfortunately, Lorcan has a mortal human body, and that mortal human body has been infected with some illness, and they're not going to be able to make it uh, today. But hey, I wish them a recovery. If you're listening to this, what's going on? My favorite Irish fox. Hopefully you're doing all right. And you can rage along at home with me. Uh, silently. That goes both for Lorcan and everybody at home. <laughs> I got, this might be a quick one. I don't know. Every time I say this might be a quick one, I end up going over an hour, but we will see. I only got two things to talk about today. Two uh, political things, two politics at the last minute, if you want to like invoke the name of the show. <laughs> I want to first talk about we're, we're getting closer and closer and uh, to to another election, and while I I'm I'm living a slightly more comfortable life this election cycle by not losing my mind over electoral politics. Like I could be on here every week screaming about Marianne Williamson and uh, RFK Jr. to uh, I, I, what I would call candidates in quotes for the Democratic Party's nomination. However, like, and this isn't the only reason that I've stopped putting as much of my personal energy into. Not just electoral politics, but specifically the Uniparty that has two different aesthetic flavors. The Republican, the Republican Democrat Party, uh, the, the single. I hate even saying both names because it really just functions as, as one, and it has for multiple decades at this point, like a couple generations. Uh, the the reason I consider that like f- phony candidates, they have already announced the DNC is not doing debates. So what? Who who even knows that Marianne Williamson and RFK Jr. are running? Besides other internet politics people who pay attention to this nonsense, like maybe uh, the mainstream news outlets have talked about it a bit. I'm sure they've at least mentioned them, but I feel like if I walk up to somebody on the street and say who's running for president, they're like, "Oh, Biden and Trump." <laughs> I mean, there's like 50 Republican candidates. They just had a debate we could talk about, but we're not going to because I think it's kind of a waste of my time. It's a bunch of people running on the Republican side for cabinet positions, and it's a bunch of people on, the, a bunch of people, two people, I guess, on the Democrat side <laughs> uh, that Marianne Williamson is running to sell books. And, like, she she actually had some recent controversy where she basically told, like, her staff is like, yeah, we were talking, and she's like, I do this for books. I don't give a shit about my politics. It's just like a vanity project thing, because eh, every time she runs, she's got a book coming out, and then suddenly it gets more sales after And then RFK Jr. seems to be running for a cabinet position. I don't know what they'd put him in charge of, but, like, on the stuff that actually matters, they're both pro-war candidates. RFK Jr.'s biggest one is like he, he's going on tour with an, like an ultra-conservative rabbi, uh, like representing the Israeli apartheid regime. <laughs> Where he's like, "Oh, we love Israel. Israel's great, and all the pal- all the Palestinians are terrorists, and that's why we have to kill them." Like <laughs> he says it in more words than that, but I've heard multiple interviews, and he's just going through. Yes, all Palestinians deserve their treatment because it's a bunch of terrorists. The places they bomb are all full of terrorists. I'm like RFK, they killed children. Yeah, well. The children, uh, they, they put the children around the terrorists strategically, so we feel worse about killing them. Like, well, man, like, <laughs> I don't, how do I even begin the conversation? Like, if that's the place you're at, you're a guy who has had, 
I don't know if he's Ivy League educated, but I mean, he comes from the Kennedy family. I'm pretty sure he's gone to more school than me. He's read more things than me. And he's had um, like three times as much time on this earth as me almost. Well, he's not 90, but you know, you know what I'm saying? He has all the experience. He has smart people around him and that he's there on Palestine after this much time. Like it's, it's just a waste of our time to go. Cause even if it's one of them going, who ends up filling the slot, which it won't be, I think they're going to swap out Biden for like a Gavin Newsom. Even if it was one of them, the, the, the only reason they would end up in the office is because they will continue policy as it is, which is why Biden was the one who got put in office because he was going to be the best serviceman to the owning class, the, the corporatocracy that we live under. That's why they, they like Trump, the whole thing with him is he's supposed to be an outsider. He is absolutely not. He's been in bed with these politicians forever. Talk about draining the swamp. He filled the swamp. He put the same assholes in charge. Like he brought the swamp in to help determine his policy. Like why is Mike Bolton working for Trump and Biden? Like that? <laughs> War budget keeps going up no matter what. And even Trump is the fact that he is, I, I brought up how he, he runs as an outsider, but is not apparently he's just enough of an outsider. Like he made, he's just enough of a wild card that the establishment is really concerned about him. But that again, makes me sound like I'm talking, Oh, see, he is an outsider. He's, he's not, he's, he's, I'm trying to describe the level of control over you that they, that the uh, corporatocracy has to have to feel comfortable enough to allow you to be president. Like, Obama was going to do the stuff they wanted him to, so they put him in. George W. Bush did the stuff they wanted to, so he made it through the process. <laughs> like That's how it works. You're never given an option to vote for somebody who is actually going to shake things up. Like If we end up with Biden versus, who's the other guy, uh, the Republican president, president, the governor of Florida, uh, DeSantis. Like If it was DeSantis versus Biden, DeSantis got his start. He's trying to act like, I'm this Washington, D.C. outsider. I'm just like Trump. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like he got his whole start being a lawyer in Guantanamo Bay, uh, trying to make well successfully creating BS legal framework to torture people. Like he, what he's not an insider, a like a career government lawyer who's been like directly fighting to a lot to forgive, forgive. I don't know to create cover for to run interference on the U.S.'s crimes against humanity that we're doing at freaking black sites. Like oh yes, the outsider Ron DeSantis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he spent his entire life working for Washington, D.C., but, you know, he's this, he's a rebel. He's a maverick. <laughs> if we get Biden versus DeSantis, the establishment, the corporatocracy, would be perfectly comfortable with either of them. Same thing with a Gavin Newsom. The candidate themselves is not nearly as important as the system that they operate within and the system that they represent. Uh, so that's why I bring this up. Not because it is the specific single issue or the specific single guy. You could swap out Biden for anybody in either of these parties, and this is what would be happening. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Okay, here's one of our two articles. We got, posting it in the chat for everybody. By the way, join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash lastminutepolitics. You can be listening to this recording right now live. All the nonsense I'm going to edit out, you can hear it. All me talking about how I'm sitting here with white claws. What flavor is it? Grapefruit. I got a grapefruit white claw. Let me drink it into the mic. I'm going to put the mic against my throat. Also bonus content. Is this ASMR or the opposite that makes people uncomfortable? Here we go. That's some good white. You see, there are no laws when we're drinking claws. And when I say white claw, I mean generic hard seltzer because it was cheaper than name brand white claw. Here's the article. This is from truthout.org. Uh, New Jersey activists won a ban on private prisons. Now Biden wants to reverse it. 
subtitle, the Biden administration is backing core civic in a lawsuit against a state law banning contracts with private prisons. Let's read a little bit here. There should be no private prisons, period, none, period. <clears throat> That's what they're talking about. Private detention centers. They should not exist. And we are working to close all of them. End quote. That's what President Joe Biden said during an April 2021 speech in Georgia, where he found himself confronted by immigrant rights activists. So 2021, he's the president already. Two years later, it's clear that those were just empty words. The Biden administration is now throwing its support behind a core civic lawsuit in New Jersey, claiming that a 2021 state law prohibiting immigration and customs enforcement, ICE, contracts with private prisons is unconstitutional. ICE and the Biden administration are conspiring with Core Civic, one of the nation's largest private jailers, to extend the contract of a converted warehouse immigrant detention jail with nearly 30 years of documented abuse. Today, as a court decides the case, people from across New Jersey are gathering outside the courthouse in Trenton to stand up against Core Civic, ICE, and the Biden administration. This article is from August 14th. I don't think that, uh, actually, let me, let me quickly, um, so I think this is still in litigation as of today. This is, I'm recording this on August 27th. So as far as I am aware, as far as the internet is telling me, this is still in litigation, so there is not yet a resolution on this. But hey, cruelty at Elizabeth Detention Center. The Elizabeth Deten Detention Center is a personal issue for us. Hidden between warehouses at the end of a lonely alley, it is one of over 200 facilities across the country where the federal government jails undocumented immigrants. Over the years, our organization, Mov Movimiento Coseca, as well as other state groups, have been organizing against the deportation and detention of the members of our community. So remember, when I say, when I talk about there being only one party, what I mean is like things like this. It does not matter if it is Trump. It does not matter if it is Biden, Kamala Harris, DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy. It does not matter which of the establishment candidates uh, get in power, win an election, say what the, whatever the hell they want. The, the things that we actually see, like, give a shit about don't change. The military budgets are always going up. The cops are always getting more money and your rights are always being rolled back. Your and I say your, I mean, working class people, working class taxes are always going up. We were supposed to be voting for Biden because think of immigrants, think of LGBTQ people, think of all oppressed minorities in the United States, in the world. <laughs> like, and what is Biden doing? If I voted for Biden to try and receive better treatment for immigrants to try and remove kids from cages to stop family separation to stop this denial of asylum seekers at the assigned designated places you're supposed to go as an asylum seeker i will be a fool or a hypocrite if i think that is what is happening it is not that the Biden administration is working as hard as it possibly can, that the Democratic Party or Republican Party is working as hard as they can to try and fix or do anything positive with immigration they are doing the literal opposite. This is a fight to, to continue to have the cages in which the kids are being kept, except instead of being in a, like a Texas desert somewhere where Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez can go and take a, a fake photo op of her pretending to cry near a fence, it is in a warehouse in New Jersey. And if, you've like, if you haven't been reading between the lines here, New Jersey itself, like the state of New Jersey, the people in New Jersey voted on and agreed that they don't want any more private prisons. 
like at all. Like it's just at all. <laughs> they just are. And the Biden administration is not just saying, oh, we disagree and wagging a finger. They are going to court throwing institutional support on the side of continuing to have private detention facilities. And like, I want to read through this whole cruelty at the Elizabeth Detention Center. You all, if you're listening to this, there's a 99% chance you already know. You know what they're doing to people in there. You know I'm going to be like, oh, they don't get enough food. Oh, they have, they're malnourished, no medical treatment. They're sleeping in wet, mildewy things with like rats and bugs. Like, you know that's what it's going to be. I don't even have to read through it. You've heard this story a million times before because there has been little material change in the, like, in my lifetime. I was born in the 90s. I watched George W. Bush do horrible things. And then I watched uh, Obama do horrible things. And then I watched like, Trump do horrible things. And then I watched Biden. And it's just continuing. And I'm just, I'm, I want to know where the consistency is. Like, how am I supposed to be convinced to vote for one or the other aesthetic side of the same party when they just do the same thing? You're going to be called Hitler or a fascist for not for voting for not for like voting against Biden or voting for Trump or is it just not voting for Biden. Like if you're like, I'm going to not vote or I'm going to vote third party or I'm going to write in this candidate. Anything but a vote for Biden is going to be considered like a fascistic move. And how does that make any logical sense? If you vote for Biden, you are voting for an administration and a party that is going to go to court to make sure that undocumented immigrants uh, sit in a wa literal warehouse in New Jersey or Massachusetts or Arizona or tech, wherever. Like they're going to sit in a facility uncharged after usually in most cases doing the thing we say to do. You show up at a point of asylum, you declare yourself and then <laughs> we got increased deportations and uh decreased <laughs> quality of life. Uh, for the same group of people who, whenever there's a, a red, a, a right-wing, whatever the hell that means in this case, a right-wing liberal is in power, everybody gets really mad about it. Like, it actually gets some attention. And then as soon as a left-wing liberal is put in charge, suddenly it's fine or I'm just – you're nitpicking. You're being too hard. They're doing all they can. Tell me that they're doing all, their, all they can in this because what they're doing all they can is, is showing up in court with a team of federal lawyers – <laughs> to try and tip the scales in favor of a private prison company. It's a private prison company. And like not to take this in a whole rant where I get all, uh, get all crazy and sen it's sensationalist because this isn't being sensationalist. This is literally what it is in America. You are legally allowed to participate in slavery. If you are a jailer, once you are a prisoner, you become state property, which is a, is a slave like that's what slaves were they were like property you become property but of the state and even in our amendment that uh, supposedly uh that supposedly outlaws slavery abolishes slavery surprise it abolishes slavery quote unless as punishment for a duly convicted crime so we are having the Biden administration literally fighting on the side of continuing slavery conditions for people who aren't US citizens and thus have even lower like fewer protections than U.S. citizens have, which is like nothing unless unless you can afford to get a bunch of lawyers. All right, let me read a couple paragraphs from here, uh, talking about the abuses at the uh, the Elizabeth Detention Center. 
We know firsthand what it's like to get a phone call in the middle of the night from a family member saying their loved one has been detained. We have heard the stories of cruelty uh, that people live while inside the immigrant jail. People being denied access to medical care, not being protected from COVID-19, being verbally abused, and more. Immigration detention is designed to be cruel because, to this day, undocumented immigrants continue to be seen as subhuman and as commodities to profit from. The prison, <laughs> the prison industrial complex... I, like, well, we talk about the military industrial complex, but at this point, if you see made in USA, unless that was, unless you're the person selling it to you as the person who made it, it's probably prison labor. Like I think Levi's are like, we made in USA. It's literally prison labor. Like it's a huge industry here. And it's not just like printing a uh, stamp and license plates anymore, or breaking rocks with a hammer. Like they have high power call center. Like there are prisoners making millions and millions of dollars for some of these companies while getting paid, oh, $5 a day because that's the good job as opposed to if you're back at the regular prison getting cents per day. Or if you're uh, working, in the <laughs> working in the Arkansas governor's mansion, which is staffed by prisoners, you are paid zero. And if you remember who the, pri- <laughs> who the, who the governor of Arkansas was back in I think, the 90s, late 80s, it was Bill Clinton. So Bill Clinton has literally had slave labor in his house. <laughs> Like, I only bring this up because I'm told over and over how one of these parties, one of these, I'm saying quotes, it's a party, you got one party, uh, that one of these two parties that is really one party is like the morally good and upstanding one of them who we should support because they're just such good people, whatever the hell that means. Do good people go to court and put the full power of the U.S. government behind making sure that illegal immigrants have to sit in private prisons to uh, enrich companies like CoreCivic in this case? To enrich their bottom line. Is that, what, is that what really good, virtuous people do? Because, oh my God, imagine if a, a friend at work had done that. <laughs> like, would you try and cancel them, maybe? Would you maybe have some negative opinions of someone who used the full power of the United States government to keep powerless people in a situation of extreme exploitation? Because that's what the Biden administration is doing now, and this is only one example. Let me read one more, uh, a little bit more from this article. Let's see. Biden's betrayal. <laughs> this is truth out. This isn't me just talking. Truthout.org. They eliminate the truth. Get that truth out of here. <laughs> I just think it's a funny name. Uh, President Biden has also chosen a side. The administration has aligned with Core Civic, filing a brief in support of the suit, imposing the president's agenda against the clear wishes of New Jersey residents. They voted on this. Moreover, under the Biden administration, Core Civic has maintained high revenues through its contracts with ICE. It's just funneling, like people are talking, we're going to be talking about welfare a little bit here. Uh, That's welfare. That is the government just directly funneling money into a company. And like, I haven't even looked into it, but what do you think the odds are that if I look into the leadership of CoreCivic that, oh, look, wow, the CEO or CFO or whatever founder, blah, blah, CoreCivic just happens to have gone to school with Biden's blah, blah, or like Kamala's blah, blah, or some other official's nephew's friend. And therefore they get this kickback, like... This is what cor- corporate welfare is. Like, core civic isn't even out there competing on the open market, like supposedly capitalism style. And, oh, we're the best jailer. That's why you should use us. You see, capitalism creates competition. We get the best. No, they just, oh, I happen to be friends with XY governor's nephew, gardener. So, I, <laughs> so we're the ones who get the contract where money... Because a contract with ICE, it's not, it's a contract with the United States government. Like, I hate how it even presents as ICE, like it's its own little, oh, this little scrappy startup, immigration customs enforcement. <laughs> it's just out there doing the best. They're hiring some contractors, core civic. No, like this is like shell companies to funnel money to some asshole 
for running a, a torture facility, essentially. Just like his Democratic pre uh, predecessor, President Biden has shown his true colors. He is not on the side of immigrant communities or of New Jersey residents who want to see this detention center closed. Instead, he has chosen to side with the private prison sector. Today, in this courthouse, the opposing sides are clear. The people of New Jersey against CoreCivic, backed by the Biden administration. Can New Jersey, so like, what do you, what's the election going to be? Is everybody going to be fucking shocked when a bunch of New Jersey people who care about this particular issue don't want to vote for Biden? Like, oh, those evil fascists who, <laughs> who didn't want to vote for the guy who came in and overrided, overrode a thing that we like, like democracy did. We voted on a thing that was, in my opinion, good, uh, closing, <laughs> closing these private public partnership, uh, situation with core civic, just getting money funneled directly from my fucking tax pocket directly into their hands. Like, Oh, hooray. I love that he did that. I love that the president came in and overrode this decision that we as the people made. All right. Can New Jersey legislation withstand this corporate attack? Because what it is, Core Civic is a corporation and they want a, a, a law overridden. And uh, Biden's like, yeah, I'll help you. We hope so, though not naively, given the record of conservative judici judiciary and Democratic Party. Still, we ground ourselves in the knowledge that we are with the people of New Jersey who want to see this immigrant jail gone. Friends, families, community organizers, uh, community organizations, churches, politicians, and even the governor of New Jersey and the attorney general's office have come out in support of AB 5207. Who's the, who's the, gov of New, who's the governor of New Jersey? Is it Chris Christie still? Oh, thank God. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, if Chris fucking Christie is on the right side of this, I'm going to be furious. <laughs> but no, it's Phil Murphy. It's it's a quote good guy. It's a it's one of the quote good people from the good side of the single party. <laughs> Man, you better go talk to his boss. You better be like, hey, Joe, knock it off, dude. It's a guy named Phil Murphy. Who has been in since 2018. Wow. How long? When did Chris Christie get? What does he do right now? <laughs> is he Does he do anything? <laughs> What is his, what is his job? <laughs> Let me see. Nah, he's just a politician, lawyer, and he's just a professional, like, talking head dude now, I guess. Whatever the judge decides, two things are certain. New Jersey will remember that President Biden stood in favor of detention centers and against immigrants, and we will make sure to remind people of this once the next election comes, and New Jersey will continue to fight for the immigrant community. We will continue to show up at City Hall or Elizabeth Detention Center and in front of anyone who has the power to close down this facility. We will not stop until this immigrant, immigrant jail ceases to exist. That is a promise. And you know what? Good. <laughs> because holy crap if it was trump doing this you do you think my opinion would change and if you think that's a ridiculous question uh why have many people's opinions changed just because it is not trump doing it and it's probably because they don't even know about it <laughs> which is a, again a larger part of my point here why are bad things bad only if a bad person does them if a good person does bad things why are they oh that's fine then like what I got one other thing to talk about, and I want to I want to introduce it by playing some audio for you. We're talking about the most forbidden country song 
of the month. I don't know. It's, it, it's gone through a lot. We had a lot of a lot of things, a lot of ups and downs in this story. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, consider yourself blessed. <laughs> Here we go. It's aggravating seeing people on conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. It's aggravating seeing certain musicians and politicians act like we're buddies and and act like we're fighting the same struggle here, like that we're trying to present the same message. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and I've tried to be polite to everybody and um, I've talked to hundreds of people the last two weeks. But it seems like certain people want to just ride the attention of this song to maybe make them their own selves relevant and that's aggravating as hell. The other thing that I find aggravating is uh, well, you know, like it was funny seeing my song in the it was fun it was funny seeing it at the presidential debate. Cause it's like I wrote that song about those people, you know? So for them to have to sit there and listen to that, uh, that cracks me up. <laughs> Uh, but it was funny kind of seeing the response to it. Like, that song has nothing to do with Joe Biden, you know? It's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. Um, that song is written about the people on the on that stage. And a lot more, too. Not just them, but, but definitely them. So, if that, uh, if that voice doesn't cue off who it is, that was, uh, who is he? Oliver Anthony, who wrote a song, uh, well, uh, released a song, this month called Rich Men North of Richmond. And wow, has it been a big old fight amongst uh, internet left people. The general population, not so much, because most people rightfully don't get super worked up about a song. And let me open with this point, because I hope you can hold it in your heart. Uh, and from all the other things that I'm going to be saying about this. This is a song written by some guy. And the fact that it is a big conversation at all is part of is like kind of part of the weirdness surrounding it. I played this. I end up sending this to like both of my parents who are they live out. They're they're country ish people. My dad doesn't really like country music. My mom definitely does. And their initial reaction like, oh yeah, cool song, blue And then a couple of days later, like, wow, why do people care about this song? Whatever opinion you have on this song or pretty much on any song, it's fine. Like it. Don't like it. Think of it one way. Think of it the opposite of that way. I am not hung up on trying to convince anyone that they should like or should not like, that they should even care. In fact, I think the, the my favorite reaction to all this is, I don't care. It's a song. Because that's kind of, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's a, an appropriate reaction to this. Why then do we have so many think pieces, segments on the news of every station, like all, of all two stations, <laughs> like from Fox News to CNN, people are trying to convince you one way or another to either listen to this song because it is like, because it supports our politics or don't listen to this song because it is evil and will turn you evil if you hear it. So many people running out trying to make sure that you have a fully formed opinion of a thing before you even know what it is. People see a pick, like the thumbnail of this song and have a reaction now because that's been cultivated. This is what culture war is. <laughs> Whether or not someone likes, dislikes, agrees with, disagrees with, a song is not going to materially change anybody's life but we still got to fight. Like that's what news energy 
has been dedicated to and what talking heads and pundits have dedicated time and energy to, to trying to sway an opinion on a thing who really, really gives a shit? Like, who cares about this song? Unless you are one of his freaking family members. Why do you care? If they are willing to put this much energy to a thing that really does not matter at all, why would they not be putting energy into things that actually do matter? Fighting, culture warring, trying to essentially, you know, the, the debate term poisoning the well. It's like you got... It's not two sides trying to poison the well in two different directions. It's one side just dumping buckets of poison. <laughs> That's all they do. And then people are like, well, I hate your poison dumper. I prefer the other poison. <laughs> the guy on the other side of the well dumping the same poison. <laughs> the goal is to make sure you're getting in a big fight with other people who are also powerless. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's, let's read a little bit here. I'm going back to my favorite Marxist. Uh, Peter Coffin, who wrote a, th- a, a synopsis. A, the, I like how they're, they, they, they can write with clarity, and I agree on their general uh, take from this. So let me read from them. This is from their Substack. also posting that in the chat. The rich men north of Richmond should be Oliver Anthony's only target. Critical support requires criticism, and solidarity requires us to understand material class division. A new working-class country music anthem has appeared in Oliver Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond. In many ways, it is a return to form for country music, a portrayal of the stories and struggles of everyday individuals. Which you can argue, like, was the point of country music. When people are like, I don't like modern country music, that's probably what they're thinking about. (laughs) It's like, oh, we became this weird corporate pop music thing. The artist laments about the challenges of living in a modern world with age-old problems and points at the overarching influence of the rich and powerful. However, the song's second verse takes an unexpected twist. Rather than solidifying the bond between the working class, the lyrics diverging, the lyrics diverge into targeting a specific group, obese people on welfare. If my introduction to the song has been more along the lines of there's proto-class, uh, sorry, if my introduction to the song had been more along the lines of there's a proto-class consciousness here, maybe he doesn't quite get it. Maybe he doesn't quite get there because he's hung up on people on welfare eating fudge, but whatever you know, critical support, this probably wouldn't have been something I'd flagged as worth talking about. He also wrote this kind of like at the beginning of everyone fighting about it. (laughs) However, my introduction to this song was through people calling themselves communists, uncritically defending the song by saying, welfare queens are the enemies of the working class. All this tells me is that suburban right communists, like right-leaning right-wing communists, have no idea what it is like to be poor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right subsection i like the song oh so why did i play that audio clip the, the reason i played the audio clip at the beginning of this is because that's like now if we've been going through a few cycles of this of both of both sides both aesthetic sides of the single party we have like all the pundits out there trying to claim him as oh see he's talking about us and likes us oh see he's talking about us and likes us. like how uh, they had the Republican national the debate, the presidential debate for who's going to be in Trump's cabinet if he wins. Because none of those fuckers are going to be, they're not going to be the nominee. <laughs> Vivek Ramaswamy really wants to be, he's running for like head toady. It's, yeah. But they apparently, I didn't actually watch the debates, but from context clues, I gather that they brought up this song at the debate. Which, again, man, they're trying so hard to use this as a tool, like, to just use this as a, oh, a useful thing I can opportunistically latch onto and spin to favor me. 
and he's up there like, dude, I wrote this song about you. Like these are song, these so- this song is about the people on the stage right now, which is what he was saying in that intro audio clip. And then people on the left are trying to do, like use it again for their own thing. Oh, see, this guy's right wing and awful, and he's actually secretly funded by X Y, and he's a sleeper cell agent for the like. It's just two groups of dishonest grifters <laughs> trying to capitalize on this. Like, how can I make money? Of- <laughs> how can I make money off this by like elevating my own profile as a very smart thinker who, aha, I've identified this random song as evil. And if you hear it, it'll turn you evil while trying to make sure that the working class never like just trying to obscure this very clear attempt at a working class message. Even though as Peter accurately identifies, it is done clumsily and uh, there's the yeah we- weird line in the second verse. <laughs> All right, back to Pete. I like this song. I debated not saying so. I debated not saying so, but I think this song is good. I only sometimes like the things I am criticizing, and post-1970s country is mostly terrible, but this song evokes the kind of country music built from poignant tales of the salt of the earth, a group I see myself as coming from. The lyrics begin... I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home, and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is. Living in the new world with an old soul. These rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control. Want to know what you think? Want to know what you do? And they don't think you know, but I know that you do. Because your dollar ain't shit, and it's taxed to no end because of rich men north of Richmond. Instead of merely focusing on superficial themes, it delves into the working class's authentic struggles, highlighting issues that are all too real for many people today. But then it shifts. I wish politicians, we'll go back to the song lyrics, I wish politicians would look out for miners and not just miners on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the obese milking welfare. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bag of fudge rounds. Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground because all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. Back to Pete. The criticism of fat people on welfare in the song revives stereotypes that have historically been explicitly used to create rifts in the working class. I believe this undermines the song's highlighting working class struggles. I agree with Peter, by the way. And if it matters, which, it, again, I really just does not. This is a song. This is like a guy who has... This is another guy who has no direct power over any of these things. Like, it's not a senator or a governor or somebody sitting on a corporate board. It's not somebody from freaking, what is it, from Core Civic (laughs) who's trying to put people in jail. He's just a rando in the grand scheme of things who is basically as powerless as you or I. He has, in uh, future performances, again, as I've heard, I haven't gone to these performances. I haven't been, like, exhaustively looking up every single thing Oliver Anthony is doing. But I've been told he's either um, omitting or changing the, uh, the uh, what is it, the obese milk and welfare bag of fudge rounds lines. He's either been omitting or changing them in future performances and has acknowledged and, like, received criticism. He's like, well, I'm not trying to shit on poor people. Like, <laughs> again, the audio that I play at the beginning of this is response is partly a response to that kind of criticism. Back to Peter. Societally speaking, there is a layered bias against those who are overweight and on welfare. Being overweight is all is often misconstrued as a result of overconsumption, inaccurately linking it to affluence, while receiving welfare is falsely equated to undeserved handouts. These misconceptions perpetuate an individualistic worldview that values personal effort over community, despite such views being detached from the realities many face. 
Further, welfare programs often come with stringent work requirements. There are exceptions, and yes, some abuse some abuse these programs. Like it do, abuse exists <laughs> within uh, government programs, but the majority must meet work prerequisites to receive aid. This misconception might be because of certain groups, like the so-called MAGA communists, primarily consist of suburban youth who lack firsthand experience with such programs. Speaking from personal experience, I once had to rely on unemployment benefits. It was, unfortunately, a necessity for survival. Ensuring that my ex-wife, who was then pregnant, uh, pregnant with my oldest, and I didn't starve as I searched for employment. The process was not only embarrassing, but also dehumanizing. On the reasonable end, I was required to actively seek work. However, I was pushed to indiscriminately apply for any available positions, including ones that didn't align with my skills or capabilities, simply to demonstrate my intent in a job market that was near totally decimated. During that period, financial constraints led to poor dietary options, not poor dietary choices, relying on cheap, readily available food like that from Dollar Tree might sustain a person, but it causes weight gain. And it did for me. In re this is Peter talking. In recent years, I've worked diligently to lose most of the 60 pounds I put on. Still, it was only possible through gaining financial stability, allowing me to eat better and have time to exercise. More recently, including the ability to pay for a gym membership. People on welfare shouldn't be stigmatized or viewed as adversaries. Instead, they are people grappling with circumstances and being stripped of their dignity to survive. This perception of obesity and or welfare utilization is a modern proxy for the old ideology of idleness. This is a misguided perspective, a form of false consciousness that serves to divide primarily among white individuals. While it affects everyone, it mainly targets and marginalizes what society may deem the unworthy white, in quotes. I'd direct people to, is a book title, White Trash, the 400-Year Untold History of Class in America by Nancy Eisenberg to further understand. She does a great job showing how this fosters a eugenic worldview, which not only eventually supports bigotry against racial minorities, but also directs people away from class-based thinking. I fully agree with Peter here that your enemy in the grand scheme of things, not even in the grand, freaking in any scheme of, of things, are, are not recipients of the little bit of benefits that our government does put out. That's simply one of the false, he says false consciousness, like they, they set up false targets for you to go fight against. The reason that the roads suck and we like can't afford, our communities are crumbling and our infrastructure's falling apart, like, and we can't like nobody can afford anything is not because uh, welfare recipients are sucking down all the money. Even if every single welfare recipient was a was a Grifton, they were tricking people like ah ha ha. I'm a highly capable worker, and I just wish to not work. Even if that was true, which it definitely is not, it's not even close to like a a percentage of our freaking military budget of the amount of money we spend on things like core civic that we just funnel tax money to make private prisons. Why? So those same people who own the private prisons can then sell prison labor and make even more money. Like that's welfare, baby. Like that's the kind of welfare that I am critical of. I should say people, uh, poor folks on the street, got nothing to eat. Getting some freaking money. It's fine. <laughs> I actually did my own, uh, my own little spin on that line, and I changed it from uh, folks on the street got nothing to eat while Black Rock's milk and welfare, Black Rock's being, being one of the top, the top three just firms in the entire world, just businesses in terms of like money and control. They're, they buy up your neighborhoods. They uh, make a ton of money off of war, and uh, they, 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 they are the enemy. <laughs> like the, 
<laughs> the institutions that allow things like BlackRock and the actions that they take. Vanguard is, I think, actually slightly bigger than BlackRock. Same kind of thing. Like, those are the enemy. That is not a, a false enemy set up by someone to distract us from the real problem. That just is the real problem, is that finance capital, basically bankers, and not individual bankers, the system of finance capital, like what modern banking is, how it's just money from nothing, checks for free, haha. Uh, you rub two bits of money together and then there's more money, but nothing actually gets built. There's no new factory or no new power plant or new road or new apartment complex or like affordable housing. Nothing actually gets made. It's just BS money from nothing. And then, oh, where do we do all our industry? Well, we go invade a country, <laughs> take complete economic control of it and then make stuff there because we can pay people nothing. Like that's the real enemy. So I got, while BlackRock's Melkinware welfare, but God, if we got the cash to bomb these people who are brown, we could send a couple billion to some of our hometowns. That's my, that's my rewrite of the, of the, the fudge round lyric, because I think it accurately points at an actual adversary, finance capital and the military industrial complex versus yeah, people on welfare. Reaction back to Peter. We can see that these so-called... So he's going to spend a bit now talking about a, a right-wing communist. I know that sounds like a weird like oxymoron, but it, it, if, if there's a right and left wing of kind of all ideologies, there is also one of communism. People who are like, man, you got to get out there. You'll, you'll get an idea. We can see uh, that these so-called communists buy this ideology full stop in response to my highlighting of this aspect of the song. Like uh, Peter said, uh, they tweeted out, communists going full bore for this song, shitting on obese people on welfare because taxes are allowing themselves to be ideologically poisoned. Making fun of poor people on welfare for having bad nutrition is garbage. That's not working class unity. And the response to that was, Peter Coffin defending his fat brethren before the American working class shows where his true allegiances lie. Like, show where his allegiances lie. Also, while I am certainly sympathetic to sexual and gender minorities... Being one, Peter saying there, Peter is non-binary. It doesn't matter that I am demonstrably critical of LGBTQ plus gender ide ideology because I am also critical of traditional gender ideology, which somehow uh, somehow has something to do with this. Like he only mentions all that because, whereas uh, <laughs> I, f f I'm reading someone else's tweet. Please forgive the angry language here. This is another rep rep reply to, to Peter here. Peter Coffin showing his radlib trainee flag waving self again. Welfare queens are the enemy of the working class. Stop cosplaying as a communist, you old bad F word. Like, they did a cigarette emoji, but you know what they mean. Uh, and these, <laughs> these are supposedly communists. Uh, while the right communists, right wing, uh, champion the song uncritically, the shit-lib elite, Chapo Trap House left, manages to be worse about it, not only being uselessly divisive about obesity, but also diminishing the song's proto-class consciousness. We got as the response to the, to the song itself. This guy's welfare song is the true anthem of our nation. A hideous, betiddied man. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't ready for betiddied. A hideous, betiddied man angry about the idea of someone out there who may be fatter. I mean, like, if we were doing, like, a Yo Mama joke <laughs> rundown, it'd be like, oh, <laughs> this guy's got titties. <laughs> but it's like, come on, man. Are we, Are you actually a serious, like, political <laughs> actor? Do you have anything to actually say? 
And just for reference, dudes, this that tweet I just read got like 400 retweets, 8,000 likes, 100 comments. Like, I don't know who at by your logic is, but eh, that's who said it. What else we got? Chapo's Matt Christman. Christman? I'm so glad I don't know who these people are. Uh, can be seen pulling the classic uh, cancel culture move of hoping he can transfer people calling him soy onto others by calling them soy. And this is over. Oh, I know about Chapo Trap House is like a, what is it? Like it's like a podcast, The Dirtbag Left. I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about him. I just hear him referred to. But this guy says, contrast the simpering, whining tone of, uh, of this to classic working class anthems like Take This Job and Shove It and Tell Me Soyification is Not a Universal Phenomena. Yeah, you got to get in a big fight, everybody. Like everyone, all workers fight each other, not the owning class. Fight each other. This focuses on consciousness and ideology rather than material relationships, which accepting proto-class consciousness as class consciousness can only encourage. While some aspects of the song are conducive to advancing a communist agenda, it is essential to note the aspects that are not. It is good to offer critical support for such types of culture, but critical support requires criticism. Political realities are complex. No one will ever align perfectly with everyone else at the mass level. Thus, we must take what we can get. But that doesn't mean doing so haphazardly. Where some leftists have taken the Chapo approach and rejected the song wholesale, I've seen more well-intentioned ones acknowledge the good points, but still reject it as faux populism. This mistake reads as a wholesale rejection to those the song resonates with because it is being called fraudulent. The song isn't fake, it's authentic, and people resonate with it because they're living overtime hours for bullshit pay, which the song says. The rich prey on the poor, and anyone whose target is the ruling class capitalist class uh, should embrace that. But it's not hard to do so while saying people on welfare should not be viewed as enemies, but people who are being stripped of their dignity to survive. Poor people often had bad diets because unhealthy food is cheap, or sometimes literally all that is available. Like, if you don't got a car, and you live next to a frickin' fast food place... Uh, you, you, you know the term food deserts, right? <laughs> like, those are a real thing where it's like, crap, I just, getting healthy food for me is just not feasible because of my economic reality. We've all been there, right? The poorer I was, like, there's like a one-to-one -one correlation of how shitty I eat or ate. I eat a little bit better now. And how much money I've been making. And it's basically a one-to-one -one correlation. Oh, crap, I can only afford McDoubles, which at the time were a dollar. Guess my lunch is once again two McDoubles, because it's two dollars. <laughs> when ordinary people hear messages like this, they do not think about it like these polarized online movements do. I would encourage people to take some time to look outside the political sphere and look at normal people's reactions. And there's been a, uh, there was a little compilation Twittery video that just said like, America reacts to, and it's people, it's, you know, doing the like reactor YouTube thing where you got the thing in a corner and you're just, blah, blah. people who aren't in the politics zone in the same way that uh, I am, unfortunately. So like, they don't hear, all they do is, oh look, a song, and they react to it, and it's like, it's pretty, like, I bring up my parents as an example at the beginning of this, when they just hear the song, they're like, oh, cool song, talking about, yeah man, working class, you treat like shit. Like, that's what they take from it. My parents didn't go, oh, yeah, we should go kick a poor person down the stairs for being fat. Like, <laughs> proto-class consciousness. The feelings there because it's based on a material thing, not just like, oh, I happen to agree with this particular niche philosophy that I like. It's Marxism, like, socialism. The thing, the goals we're trying to accomplish here, 
Like, we are hitting at actual problems that are experienced by the vast, vast, vast majority of humans, let alone American workers. So, like, you, a lot, of, a ton of people, way more than we all give them credit for, because I feel like more and more we, we see the workers as this horrible, unwashed mass of idiot, violent psychopaths who need to be controlled and put in a pen and, like, do <laughs> the best we can do is hold them back like the freaking like attack on Titan. You got to build a big wall to keep all the gross workers out or they'll ruin everything on purpose. Cause they just suck. Like I think really deep down people's instincts are generally good and it takes a ton of control. You got to write 50 million articles about why this song is evil because you don't want someone to accidentally listen to it and go, you know what? This is bullshit. I am working overtime hours for bullshit pay. <laughs> like, so you got to try and change. If it wasn't a sentiment that was compelling, that people didn't already just have in their souls from living in America and having to work and having to, like, just watch the American dream, just freaking, it's a joke saying the American dream. People go, ha, it's, it's the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. Like, famous line. Everyone just gets that. Everyone gets that. And if you don't, you haven't worked. <laughs> So maybe we could instead latch on to these moments where people are like, hey, we all, uh, not not all like unite to, I don't know, give Anthony, Oliver Anthony a mansion and <laughs> make him the president or whatever the fuck. But like, yeah, man, let's all, let's, let's be friends rather than find a reason to fight. Look, a reason as a class to hey, unite or at least agree on a thing for two seconds and then move on with your life. Then he's got a screenshot. It's a, I only describe it for demographic reasons because we're, we're consistent. With the, if you listen to certain sides of this, it's like, ah, white people. <laughs> All these evil white people who hate welfare. I don't know. Um, the screenshot is an African-American gentleman with you know, headphones on doing the YouTuber reacts. Got the thing in the corner. And the, the caption is just, y'all like this guy? I like this guy. And uh, I describe that because Peter talks about it. He says, imagine telling this man this song is bullshit. I sincerely doubt he would take me seriously. Uh, also, I don't think the song is bullshit. It's real and resonates with people. That doesn't mean I can't have a critical view of part of it. And most people would hear me out on talking about what it's like to grocery shop at Dollar Tree. Because a lot of people freaking have grocery shop at Dollar Tree. Unfortunately, it's not well-intentioned people simply making mistakes about how to approach others that are the primary forces known for communism today. It's people who argue and reject based entirely on reactionary cultural stances, even ones labeled, quote, progressive. Still, it also makes it clear why people seem unable to engage in material analysis, instead stuck in the realm of ideals. Material analysis, your economics, not... Do you agree with me on these really specific things that if I'm sure if we talked long enough, we can find something we're going to fight about? Uh, read the last paragraph. Conclusion. The viral success of rich men north of Richmond and the subsequent reactions it invoked showcases a cultural and political dichotomy we cannot ignore. With its authentic portrayal of working class struggles, the song offers a lens through which we can examine society's tensions. On the one hand, it serves as a reminder of the genuine issues the working class faces every single day. Conversely, it engages in a divisive narrative targeting a specifically vulnerable group within the working class ultimately encouraging others to. It reminds us of the pitfalls and biases deeply embedded within even the most well-intentioned narratives. I'd like to see Oliver Anthony and Jessica McCabe, 
who whom I called Carla Marx. Uh, Jessica McCabe is a lady who had like a another viral thing where it's just her doing the TikTok, like talking to your phone, ranting about how it's nonsense, how hard it, the same kind of sentiment the song is where it's like nonsense, how hard it is in America, how like you struggle and you work and you do all the things you're supposed to do and it just seems impossible to get ahead. Like everybody's out there working multiple full time jobs at this point and it's like man, I just can barely make my payments and if anything goes wrong i'm super fucked like what's the the bernie stats like 70 percent of americans could not weather a 500 dollar emergency like i can think of many many emergencies that can happen to anybody on any time that's 500 like oh my car got a little messed up that's probably 800 at least <laughs> like oh i gotta go fix blanks probably a grand oh crap my roof oh crap a window got broken oh like oh crap i got an injury holy crap if you actually have a health issue, it's going to be a $5 million emergency. So yeah, that's Jessica McCabe, who, again, they get like, she didn't even say anything weird in her po- post, at least. I, nothing's hit me as to like, oh, this one sentence she said was so horrible, we got to... <laughs> but the knee-jerk reaction that workers have to that, there's, there seems to be a new one of these almost every other day where it's somebody in their car ranting about how hard it is to freaking get by here in America. Uh, like people get it. They feel that sentiment in their soul and they go, yeah, she's right. <laughs> Carla Marx, <laughs> Jessica McCabe. All right. I want to see, uh, this is Peter again. I'd like to see Oliver Anthony and Jessica McCabe sit down and have a long form discussion. Both would likely level out many of the other's blind spots. McCabe seems to be more robustly. McCabe seems to more robustly understand the effects of the diminishing monetary value assigned to work. At the same time, Oliver's attacks on the elite would probably map very well to her assertions that there are only two classes. But I doubt that it will happen. <laughs> In her thing, she's like, it's like we used to have classes and there was like middle class, upper class. Now it seems like there's the very, very rich and everybody else is poor. And it's like, damn lady, you are fucking nailing it. <laughs> you are killing it right now. <laughs> and what creates that divide? Is it a dollar amount in a bank account? No, it is your material relation to production. Do you work the means of production? Are you in there pulling the levers and shit? Or are you the guy who owns the means of production without employees? You would not be able to operate yourself. You can't run around a factory that you own and just make it run because it's just you. At least not yet. We don't have full automation. And even when we do, I still don't think (laughs) it's going to be a thing. Or are you one of the many, many either factory workers, Amazon employees, Starbucks employees, like anything? Do you work for it? Uh, Do you work a means of production for someone else who then takes all your value? That is what determines class, not dollar amount in your bank account. Back to Peter. But I doubt that'll happen because their consciousness is not meant to crawl from the proverbial muck and evolve. To take these viral hits and allow them to evolve further while in the media spotlight, rather than to dilute their messages with compartmentalized oversaturation, would likely harm those that own the media spotlight. The best we can and should do is engage with what they get right while contrasting it with what they get wrong. Man, I really like... Do you see do you see why I read these articles? Like what a nice freaking view where like more than one thing was considered and neither did this article say this article did not say oh we should love and un- uncritically support and throw all our stuff. He's our new god. We're just starting a new religion about all of our Anthony, this random guy we've never heard of until yesterday who wrote a song. <laughs> Nor was he like, "All right, we found a new Satan and his name's Oliver Anthony. He wrote this song. You never heard of it's instead like, okay, let's like look at the thing for what it is and analyze 
let us critically support, meaning have criticisms for without being like, fuck you, this is completely wrong and you're an asshole. Because sometimes a song will come out and they are completely wrong and they're an asshole. And in which case, that criticism might be appropriate, but this doesn't seem like a place for that. Well, everybody, geez, yep, see, I almost ran up on an hour, at least before editing. We'll see how much I chop this down to, but thank you very much for hanging out with me today. This has been Pep. Uh, I'm, ooh, I'm going to do at least one more episode before I leave, but uh, I'm, I'm doing a trip to China here at the end of September, and I'll come back and be talking about that for weeks. I'll be the most obnoxious communist possible, because even more so, I'll be like, well, when I was in China, and I'll be like, oh, we get it, Pepper, you've been to China, shut up. <laughs> this isn't China. <laughs> uh, hey, I love you very much. Have a good night. Stay safe out there, and please... Look for reasons to unite with your class, the working class, and not reasons to divide the working class. Goodbye.